just like every other podcast what is up everybody welcome to the members only live show that if you're not a member and and that's not in the cards right now don't worry you can catch this episode on on apple podcast or spotify probably on tuesday you don't want to miss it it's not going to be aired on youtube it's only going to be aired on those other platforms you can go check that out and if you would do us a favor go subscribe go follow us there on those locations if it's on apple give us a five-star review we'd appreciate that today's topic is going to be the traffic stops in indiana you know some of the things that i have been uh, getting just is that police were aware of Brian Koberger and who he was because of the stops in Indiana. And so the question is brought up, were those stops planned? Me personally, I don't think so. I think he's just a bad driver. Quite a bit of evidence of him getting pulled over multiple times. You know, we'll look at the demeanor of the officers. We'll look at what is being said, how they're speaking with each other. But to me, I think it all boils down to the IgG. When it comes down to that genealogical tree that was created to locate Brian Koberger, that tool is only used if you don't have a suspect. There, there is no point in doing that if you have a suspect. Because what the IgG does is it narrows down who is the possibility, uh, you know, the suspect. It doesn't necessarily point at a specific person. And law enforcement needs to build their case and then build enough evidence to then get a warrant to then get Brian Koberger's DNA to do a direct match. Now, if you had a suspect, all you would have to do is just kind of wait out, wait for this person to drop some trash or something like that, pick it up and then, you know, find some DNA. Then at that point, you can match it directly and you don't ever even need to do the IgG at all. It is absolutely pointless. Brian Koberger, it was very difficult to go and get his DNA. Obviously, um, law enforcement was watching him for a few days and then they, they never got his DNA. They ended up just, you know, using the DNA for his parents. Now, let's just say they found out who Brian Koberger was November 29th, like everybody assumes because of the probable cause affidavit and the way it is written. So let's just assume that they, they found him on that day. All they would need to do is go wait out, see if he drops trash and then pick it up. Now, to do that, you need zero evidence. There's nothing that you need to go and do that. You don't need, you know, anybody to point at him in the direction of Brian Koberger to pull his trash. You don't need uh, an IgG. You don't need anything. Somebody discards something, you can just go and pick it up and law enforcement can test it for whatever reason that they want. If, you know, he was wearing gloves and all these other things, right? And police couldn't find his DNA, which begs me to ask the question, if Brian Koberger is innocent and wearing gloves and, you know, being a germ germaphobe and things like that were consistent, you know, I don't think he was shaking people's hands and getting his DNA on people. I don't think he was touching doorknobs and things like that without his gloves where his DNA could be left behind. So if police couldn't get his DNA for four days, in fact, they never could. They only got his dad's. It's really crazy. And what are the odds that the person who does come in contact with Brian Koberger and has his DNA on him is also a person that matches his build, drives the same car, doesn't have a front license plate, you know, does the crime while Brian Koberger is out and about and his phone is off. So there's just too many coincidences at that point. But I digress. We'll go back to the IgG. So if they couldn't find Brian Koberger's DNA in his trash, the very next step would be to go to his parents' house and pick up trash to get a familial DNA match. A match saying that, you know, the person who committed this crime is the son of or the brother of or the, you know, whatever of said person's DNA that was picked up in the trash. At that point, that is enough to go get a warrant to swab BK or whoever one for one. On the, on the knife sheath. And at that point, you know, the matches, you're probably getting an arrest warrant and arresting him right then and there. And you, you kind of fall back on all the other stuff, you know, the car, the phone, locations, whole nine yards. 
if you had all that, you wouldn't need to do the IgG. So that tells me they didn't know who the guy was when they were doing the IgG at all. Now, from the New York Times article, and they found out December 19th. December 19th is after these stops. This is December 15th. So with that being said, in my opinion, I don't think that these stops are at all related, planned, or any of those things. Let's watch it, and we'll see what happens, and then we'll go along with that. When he, Well, at least when, when I was in law enforcement, uh, these cameras, they record constantly, right? However, nothing is saved until you know your lights are initiated or you hit the record button or, or whatever it is nowadays. I, I don't know. I've never had a body cam. I, I was in, in law enforcement before those were a thing. So I, I'm not familiar with how those are used or how those turned on or anything like that. But I do know that the units inside of the vehicle will turn on when you have lights and stuff. And what happens is when you turn on that light, it starts to save what it recorded two minutes prior to the lights being turned on so it can see what happened for those two minutes. It may be longer now. You know, it's been several years. It may be like five minutes now. Uh, but that's probably why we don't hear sound at this point. Hello. How y'all doing? doing? Good, good. Take your driver's license real quick if I could. See, he's right up on the van, man. He's right up on the back of that van. over for tailgating. All right, so let's uh, let's look at this and and thank you, Deception. I appreciate you. Look at the way this officer's hands are. His hands are inside the vehicle. In fact, let me rewind this a little bit. You can look at his approach. I'm gonna mute it because what he's saying doesn't really matter at this point. All right, so first things first, he has the visor down. So, you know, if I was an officer approaching, you know, this vehicle here with the visor down, it's it's blocking my vision. Now I understand this is an older guy and it's probably nothing crazy, but. If I had the understanding that this was a quadruple homicide suspect, I wouldn't I would be very um, alarmed by the fact that the visor is facing that direction, blocking your view to the driver and what he may or may not have in his hands. So that's that's the first thing I would have noticed. And that would have been uh, a big red flag for me. Good, good. Take your driver's license real quick. See, he's right up on the van, man. He's right up on the back of that van over for tailgating. All right, so here's the other thing. Let's look at this. This is this is 12:15 at 10:42 a.m. and he says he was right up on that van. He said okay, and he's getting his items out. Let's see if there's yeah, there is. All right. Is this your car? Okay, cool. Where you headed? Well, we're coming from WSU. What's WSU? You see that? So he interrupted his dad there to take over the conversation. He probably felt that his dad was taking too long to answer the question. Doesn't want to be on the side of the road. So he goes, yeah, we're basically going here and there. He interrupted him to speed up the process. You know, initially he told him that he was just going to go get Thai food. And the reason why he did that is because it will speed up the process of getting out of there. You know, if you tell somebody in a, in a traffic stop that you're going directly, like they say, hey, where, where are you heading from? And you say, hey, I'm, I'm heading to the store. You know, typically that's that, that probably the end of the conversation. But if you say I'm heading to the store and you start to divulge more information, you know, we just came back from over here. Oh, yeah. How was it over there? Oh, yeah. What'd y'all, what'd y'all do? Oh, that's cool. You know, and, and so those are the questions that you open yourself up to. And obviously he doesn't want to talk to the officers or have anything to do with cops right now. And so, yeah, he was interrupting him, just kind of telling him somewhere short, which it, by all means could be very well the truth. He could they could have gone to get Thai food. It doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't. 
Uh, but I just, you know, that's my observation of that. I'm not necessarily saying it's suspicious. It's something that I would say, you know, I would say if I got pulled over, I would tell somebody the next stop that I'm going to as far as where I'm headed. If I'm headed from, you know, San Antonio and I'm I'm driving to to Houston and I get pulled over in Katy and they say, hey, where are you going? And I'm going to the Bucky's, which is a gas station in Katy, Texas. That's right there. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to a gas station. I'm not going to divulge anything else just because I want to get out of there as fast as possible. It's already, you know, chances are I'm getting pulled over for speeding and chances are I was running late. So me being there longer isn't going to help me short, quick, quick, swift, fast, and that'll get you out there. I'm not saying it's suspicious, but I think that's what he's trying to do there. So we're, okay, I'm having a hard time hearing because of the traffic. So you're coming from Washington State University and you're going there? Oh. Oh, okay. You see, now it, it also seems suspicious and I think he caught up on it. So he's like, you're coming from Washington State University and you're going to get Thai food here where? Like, it, it didn't jive. And, and then, like I said, it's, it's mostly a, um, a product of people being kind of nervous and things like that. It's really not suspicious ish. Now we do know what Brian Koberger is alleged to have committed just a little over a month prior to the stop. You can see uh, he's got some concern in his face, the stone cold look that he has and, and stuff like that, that we've seen in court. It don't seem like he, he makes a lot of facial expression. Minor expression is a lot. And right here, I mean, just kind of looking at him right now, he looks spooked you know, compared to how many times we've seen him in court, you know, and the more times that we've seen him in court, more relaxed that he's, he's become more healthier. He's become, that's one thing that I think I've noticed about him is that when he got arrested, he was very, very thin, you know, well, at least his face was, you know, sunk in things like that. And since he's been in jail, he's gotten, in my opinion, looks a little bit healthier. You know, I question how he was able to, you know, obviously, allegedly, how he was allegedly able to commit that crime being up all night and all day, continuing to stay up for hours at a time driving in these back roads of, of Idaho where there's a bunch of fields. And, you know, some of these places are very, uh, from what I understand, uh, not much to see. Maybe he was on something. You know, he's been, uh, he was an addict in the previous, uh, previously. Hours. Hours. Days. Hours. Right. Yeah. Okay. And what did you say about some SWAT team thing? Or yeah. Something? There was, yeah, there was the mass thing. shooting. Where? Where? So the reason why they brought that up, I don't think it has anything to do with who was involved. In fact, uh, dad thought it was a mass shooting. They weren't really familiar with the incident. Uh, I, I believe that the reason why they were aware of it or they've gotten the small information is um, Brian Cover probably got an alert. Now, being that he was a student at WSU, uh, we have heard that from other students uh, nearby in the in the area that when there has been things that have gone down, you know, because either if they're in close proximity or if they have, you know, are enrolled in the, in the university, they get an alert that something has happened to stay in place, things like that. And so I believe he would have gotten one that morning. And the reason why they're referring that to this officer is because he didn't know what WSU was or where it was. And they were trying to use that situation as one that maybe perhaps he's familiar with so that he does know where they're coming from. I don't think it's anything super suspicious at this point. So, so y'all work at the university there? Actually, Okay. Okay. 
I hadn't heard about that incident this year. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Wow. Okay. So do me a favor and get Bolo too close, okay? Oh. All right. So his his hands never left inside. He's been talking to him calm, cool, collective. Again, this is not seem to be the demeanor of somebody who's pulling over somebody that is suspected to be a quadruple homicide suspect. First, you got to put yourself in the mind of the suspect. If you're pulling him over, he doesn't know that you're pulling him over for you know following too close. That may not be a law in Pennsylvania. We've already you know heard him discuss about laws that are in Pennsylvania that aren't you know in in Washington or in in Idaho. Maybe maybe he's just not familiar with the following too close. But tailgating is typically a thing. Now, usually it's not citable. I know. Well, it's not. Let me rephrase that. Usually you don't cite it unless there's an accident. And the reason being is there's nothing in well, at least in Texas. I don't know about in Indiana, but in Texas, uh, tailgating is a is a crime for following too close. But it doesn't specify what is too close. Uh, Well, it it does. Too close is when you're following somebody so close that you can't stop if they were to make a sudden stop. Now, you can't prove that somebody can't make a stop if someone stops unless there's an accident. And so that's when, you know, the tailgating will usually be cited. Now, if you see somebody and you feel that they're driving too close, you can pull them over, but you really can't cite them for it. In some cases, because it's not really an infraction until there's an accident, uh, it's usually just a verbal warning. So I'm, I'm not surprised that that's what they, they're giving him in this situation, just because of the fact that it's not really something you can cite or warn on docu- or on paper uh, because it's not a crime until an accident occurs. Ah, see, in California. Yeah. See, this is the thing. It's, it's different everywhere in California. You can get stopped inside for here in Texas, at least. I think you can cite somebody It's just probably not recommended. You'll probably lose if you do that in Texas because uh, the. Uh, you know, all the defendant has to say is, how could you tell that I couldn't stop in that time? You know, there's nothing in the law book that specifies 20 feet is too close, 10 feet is too close, 35 feet is too close. There's nothing there. Now, in California, it might be. I don't know what their laws are. I'm only familiar with Texas. Thank you. Appreciate you. All right, this is the next one. People were saying that these stops were back to back. This is at 1549. So this is just before four o'clock. So about 10 minutes till four o'clock. The last one was about 10 at 10 a.m., about 1045, I believe. So you're looking at at about five hour difference here in time between the first stop and the second stop. So it's not like he, he, he got pulled over and then immediately got pulled over again. This is significant time later. And as you can see with his hand there on the right, he's probably entering the driver's, uh, the license plate number into the uh, computer to get a read of who's the vehicle belonged to. All right, so hold on. He's saying a lot of things. He's saying something about a trailer and going so fast. Uh, it's more than just tailgating. Let me rewind this a little bit. It's kind of hard with all these cars in the back. Oh, no, I stopped you, man. When you're driving by me there, you're a little too close to back at semi. Oh, I couldn't understand what he was saying completely, but it sounded like he was saying that there's specific laws in Indiana when following a semi-trailer as far as what their speed is and what your speed is supposed to be following behind them and the distance. (laughs) 
So he's bringing up this shooting that occurred again at WSU. In my opinion, uh, they're trying to gain some sympathy or whatever. Like, oh, we were there no, to not get a citation. Again, I don't think it's anything having to do with being involved in that situation or, or having some sort of involvement or knowledge of who Brent Kopaka was or, 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 or any of those type of things. It's more of, you know, these guys are trying to get out of a citation. And to be honest with you, when you, when you look at all the times that Brian Kovac has been pulled over, and the lack of times that he's been giving a citation, I think that there was one time he was, which was, uh, I think that August one or October one, I can't remember what day it was, but it was one of the 12 times uh, that he was following them. Because I think that one was for non for not a seatbelt, for not wearing a seatbelt. I, I don't think we've seen that traffic stop. I could be wrong. Maybe that is the one with, where the female walks up to him and and it's about turning left at the red light. But I could have swore it was a stop sign or a stoplight or a seatbelt infraction. And it was so... We haven't seen that body cam, you know, footage. I wonder if there's something in his car, you know, that is seen on that tape. That could be evidence. You know, they talked about McDougal's traffic stop and how he had a uh, rope two days prior to what he is alleged to have committed, taking the life of Audrey Cunningham. It's really weird to hear them discussing Brent incident when we're all talking about the Idaho Four not knowing who BK was. Like, yeah, you're right. It's it's it. You, why didn't bring up that? Hey, we were from you know ten miles from Idaho, Moscow, Idaho, where that quadruple homicide occurred that everybody knows and is talking about. Yeah, I mean that would have been a, an easy way, but this was probably something that they were discussing. Like, given the school alert, the WSU alert that he would have gotten for the barricade, you know, that's probably something they were talking about and it was fresh in their mind. Steph C came up and said, "I don't think the stops were planned. It was if it was, it would have been a felony stop. This was not a felony stop. Only one officer. I think they were doing traffic." Uh, is why there was two stops. I mean, yes, and also this was probably around the time that people are traveling, going back and forth uh, for college. You know, college is letting out around this time, and I can see a lot of traffic being going around. So there being an extra, you know, patrol officers out there conducting traffic to be more there visually, right? If you're seeing a bunch of cops out there and they're pulling people over, that usually is a deterrent to others uh, for speeding. Right. That'll get them to slow down too. do we spy cuts on his hands in these stops. I'll go back and look. I'll go back to the first stop in a minute uh, and check that out. I'm not going to give you guys another ticket or warning if you just got stopped. Just make sure you're giving yourself plenty of room. Okay? So, 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 so it's, all, it's all about how fast you're going. Okay. So if, if you're going 10 miles an hour, you only need one car. So speed limit here is 70. Oh, that's bull crap. So if you're going 70 miles an hour, you need seven cars. Is, is that what he, like there's that that don't make sense i mean your average car is like what some about 20 some feet long i mean you're looking at more than a block length i think this cop is wrong seven miles an hour you get seven cars yeah, yeah. that's that, that that's the easy way to explain it
yet. It's a long haul. You guys scared of airplanes? <laughs> Man, look at look at how far into the street Koberger's vehicle is. You see where this officer split off? Yeah, he has one wheel off of the side of the road there. He did this for a reason. You don't do that. That's dangerous. I'm on to you, man. You do this because you didn't want him to approach him on that side. He forcefully made him approach from the right side, from the passenger side. You know, if he pulled over to the side of the road, similar to how this guy's parked, uh, he probably would have approached him on the driver's side. Maybe. I mean, on a highway, it's probably usually safer to approach from the passenger side regardless. But he's ensuring that he's not going to approach on the driver's side, because if he does, then and then he, he's putting himself in danger from vehicles. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hope I'm not the only one that's noticing this. He definitely did this on purpose. This son of a gun. Come on to you, man. Uh, let's go back to the uh, so-called hand. Look at the left hand. I think maybe maybe there is something on his hand, but I don't think it's the right hand. I think it's the left hand. Let's watch his left hand. Does his left hand stay kind of hidden? Does he act fluid when he's handing stuff and doing things like that? Because if he's got something on the outside of his left hand, like maybe on the outside here, that would be a reason to force him. But let's see. But he could have definitely been pulled way more over to the right. All right, left hand's like already on the door panel. Left hand goes behind him. All right, now he's crossing it over. So now I think you, I don't think there's anything there. Maybe, I don't know. He could be positioning it a certain way. And if this guy would move his hand, I could see the other one. Yeah, I just thought that it was interesting how far he's parked in the center there of the, of the shoulder. Yeah, this guy's still not moving his hand yet. I know he does at one point because there's this image of, of his hand. Well, there you go. I mean, his left hand is now between his legs. That's not weird. You know, if this guy was suspected of a quadruple homicide and he puts his hands like that, look at, look at where his hands are. You know, his hand is right between his leg. I'd be pulling my gun now right here, regardless of who this dude is and say, let me see your damn hands. Because right there where he's putting his hand at is a place where a weapon could be placed. This tells me this definitely this cop definitely didn't know that this was any this guy was anybody hand placement. Mm mm. I do find that odd. I don't know. Maybe he is hiding that left hand, man. It's just weird to hide your hand like that. I mean, I don't even seem comfortable. Uh, let's see the angle of his arm. I'm going to go back to where, where are we at? We're at. 223. Let's go back to when he first hands some stuff over and it is hand position. There it goes. That's where it went into his hand between his legs. So for over an, a minute and a half. Interesting. Everybody was looking at the right arm, looking for scars. Nobody looking at how he's handing, you know, handling his left hand there. One part of his left hand that he didn't show. So everything was hiding. Like when he handed things, it was hidden that part and his hand was in between his legs. Interesting. Now, I'm not saying that there was something there. We know that it don't seem like there probably would be a scratch or not or anything on him, mainly because 
you know, if there was a scratch, if he did get cut, you know, if, if one of the victims scratched his body, you would expect to see those type of uh, that type of DNA underneath their nails or blood and, you know, mixed around where the bodies are, things like that. And you would use that evidence to link or your suspect versus the DNA on the on the sheath, in my opinion. But I do do wonder that is that's, that is interesting. I never considered that he knows the officer will come to the passenger side. Did he do that to both stops? Well, I mean, look, this is the first stop. Look at where that vehicle, the truck is parked. And again, it, it's not all the way towards the, the white line, but I, I think it's it's obviously close enough to make the officer come to the right side. And if he has a cut or something on the outside of his left hand or a scratch or any of those type of things, yeah, I mean, it, it's quite possible. I learned to approach on the right side. It depends. I mean, maybe now it's it's probably more common, I guess. I don't know. It just depends on the situation. If you have somebody that close to the, if you're going to be that close to the street, yeah, you're going to definitely want to be on the right side. You know, you want to have the best visual of the of the driver and, and you want to make it so that they can't see you. So when you're walking up, typically that's why you flash the light right up in the, uh, you get your flashlight, especially at night and you, you'll hit it right at their, at their rear view mirror so that it flashes a light in their face so they can't see you coming up. That way, if they have like a you know a gun or something in there, intending to come out with it, they got to find you first too. You know what I mean? Uh, if you're walking up, they see you there. They can just kind of pull out and go that direction. Give yourself a, a split second there if you have the light flash right in their eyes. He's left-handed. That's what I hear. I don't know how true it is, but that's what I hear. Maybe he was ready for a fast escape if anything went down. Maybe it's possible. Maybe there was something between his legs. And that if they were going to try to stop him in that moment, I don't know. But yeah, it, it just seemed weird that he had his left hand there. Right hand on the shifter, maybe. I think he is ambidextrous. That's possible. Do I think the dad suspected anything? Maybe. I know some members of his family did. From what I understand and from what I've heard is that the father was more in denial about the whole situation than some of the other members of his family. I wish the behavioral panel would <clears throat> critique this, but they said they're waiting for full trial or something. Well, that makes their job easier. I don't, I don't mean to sound mean or anything like that but if you have somebody that's trying to decipher somebody's body language it's easier when you know that they committed the crime for sure you know what i mean keep both hands on the steering wheel when to stop yeah i do that too regardless if he thought this was a homicide suspect it's just sloppy police work you never know who you're pulling over 100 percent. you are 100 percent, liz you, there's no such thing as routine that is one of the things that it, it, you know is typically tried to be harped into you know, cadets when they're in the police academy, there's no such thing as routine. And they'll show you some of these videos of routine traffic stops where it didn't work so well for the officers who got comfortable. There's uh, photos of him holding a pen in his right hand, but there's also reports of him signing docs with his left hand. Well, the the, the image that he has of him writing, uh, that one guy who's on TikTok was the one who basically said that working with him at, at, at uh, the sales university, they were doing a project that he was joking around and, and that that was not a real image. That wasn't the real image of him writing or anything like that. It was a act of him writing, pretending to write. But I wonder if the image was mirrored. Something Sometimes that happens, uh, depending on how the picture was taken. And it might appear that he's writing with his right hand, but it's actually his left. I personally have never seen him write anything, so I'm not sure which one is, is true or not. And in a lot of states, putting your hand between your legs means a gun in your face. Weird stop. Yeah, it really is a weird stop. Everybody was trying to focus on the right hand. Didn't notice his left hand between his legs. Do you think these stops were planned or just coincidence? I think they're 100% coincidence. 100%. There's nothing in here that screams, you know, these were, were done on purpose. Do you think that dad had a feeling it was him or knew something was up? I think he may have knew. I mean, he was wearing gloves. He was acting awkward. And if that wasn't something 
normal, right? If that wasn't something that was being done before the murders, the gloves, the separating of the trash, you know, he was cleaning everything. You know, he may have been washing his vehicle multiple times since he had been there, maybe with bleach, um, you know, those type of things. I think that there would be enough for some suspicion. Now, we do know that his family made a reservation and asked for a low dim light area. And from what I understand is during that reservation, there was some accusations that were made. It also resulted in some of his family members searching his vehicle. I've also heard that there's a lot of people who've come forward with not so good experiences of Brian Koberger. A lot of females who've come forward that we're going to find out in court that we don't know about. You know, that's the one thing that I look at how close to that white line he is right there. Uh, he did that one on purpose. You know, obviously you're not going to be on the white line because then you, you stand a chance to get hit. But yeah, he did this on purpose. Um, I think they knew he did it. But we're oh yeah, there we go. That's where we're going to find out that there's probably some other students, co-workers, former co-workers, things like that, who have females who have not had the best experience with Brian Coburger in some scary situations that are going to come forward. Again, just because they haven't told us about this or it's not in the probable cause affidavit doesn't mean it's not real or it's not there. You know, we have to remember that majority of the information that was found on Brian Koberger was after his arrest. The majority of the information we know is pre-arrest. Now, if they got Brian Koberger on December 19th, his name, and they arrested him the 29th, I believe. So that's a 10 day period. Now, within that 10 day period was a time in which they had to find him. So locating him and finding out that he was in the Poconos and, and, and getting out there and putting eyes on him, I think, was until the 23rd. All right. So from the 23rd to the 29th is when they had eyes on him. And they got enough information. That's when they also pulled his phone records, uh, his locations and all those other things. So you're looking at five days, 23rd to the 9th. What is that? Uh, six days. You're looking of evidence collection, right? On top of what you know uh, that occurred in the house, right? You know, the only thing that they know that occurred from the house is his DNA was left. And there was a white vehicle that matches his vehicle driving around suspiciously. Uh, DNA, suspicious vehicle, that's the only evidence they have at that moment that points to Brian Coburger. Now, once his arrest happens, that's when all the other stuff comes in. That's when all of a sudden all these people who have had interactions with Brian Coburger start coming forward. You know, that is when they start doing the download on his phone and they start figuring out where exactly he was. There's a case going on right now. It's Donald Trump and he is under investigation or there's some sort of court thing with Fanny something. I'm not familiar with any of it, to be honest with you. And there is a question in which the prosecutor and the district attorney had some sort of an affair. And well, Donald Trump, the defense team, subpoenaed the cell phone company and got the locations of the prosecutor and the district attorney or, or whatever she is. I'm not sure what she is. Um, maybe she's an attorney general. I don't know. And they found out that they were having an affair since 2021. And there's multiple times that he was over there. Now, this is what the defense could grab a defense team on a prosecutor. Can you imagine on a subpoena? Can you imagine on a warrant for a homicide? What kind of information is going to be given out there to the to the law enforcement team? I'm just saying if they were able to do that with the prosecutor and find out where they were, a homicide investigation and law enforcement asking for you know, requiring a warrant, a warrant. Warrant is different than a subpoena. All those warrants that were you know, received happened after Brian Koberger's arrest. So the evidence they have against him, we know probably about 20 percent of what's out there against Brian Koberger. Now, we knew about 90 percent to 80 percent of what they had on Koberger with the PCA was released. And that was up to that point. But I want to say about 90 percent of the investigation happens after the arrest or after they know who he is. I think BK left his gun in PA. They recovered it from his house, not his car. And I think I they would have used it instead of the knife. I mean, maybe. 
if he's trying to be stealthy and he doesn't want to alarm anyone, he would use the knife and that would be the purpose of the knife, which is why I think it's, which is why I think he used the knife. I'm not one that says that he used the knife because this was personal or things like that. I think he used it for the stealth act, you know, aspect of it. And if he brought his, you know, he was arrested in PA and they had his guns there. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he didn't take one with him to Washington and then bring it back and then take it down from the car when he got back and, and just didn't leave it in his car. Um, I don't know how it is in other states, but here in Texas, it's it's completely legal for anybody, whether you have a concealed handgun license or not, unless you for some reason aren't allowed to carry guns if you're an ex-felon or something like that. There's nothing saying that you can't carry a weapon in your vehicle. You can't take it down with you or, or things like that when you go to like a Walmart or stuff like that. But having it in your car, uh, there's nothing illegal about that. It would be safe to take it out of your car if the only reason you were using is because you're going across country. You know, it, you know, when I go across country, I don't go non-packed or stacked or however you want to say it. I don't know how the kids say it nowadays. You got to do that. You got to make sure you're protected at all times. It's uh, a self-defense weapon. He probably brought it in at night unless it was his dad's. That's possible too. I found my original question. What do you think the theory of law enforcement got BK Dutch DNA from his driver's license at his first stop? Well, okay. Let's just say that they got his 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 DNA at this stop on December 15th. When did they plant it on the sheath? Because from what we understand, and we went back and looked and it was December 1st. And we did this just here recently. We were looking at the press release on September. On December 1st, they talked about the Idaho State Lab running tests on some some things. We know now that that was on the DNA. So in order for them to have planted Brian Koberger's DNA from his license from this moment, they would have had to have gone in, in Martin McFly's DeLorean, traveled 85 miles an hour, gone back in time to the night of the incident after whoever committed the crime, instead of stopping the crime and preventing it or finding out who the real killer is, they went in there after the crime was committed and planted the, the DNA on the sheath. I mean, that's that's the only way that works, because if not, you would have to believe that uh, Indiana police were in cahoots with Moscow Police Department, who were in cahoots with the state police department, who were in cahoots with the forensic lab, uh, with the specific forensic investigator who had access and ability to the you know, the murder weapon and would place it on there without having to sign it in or out and somehow avoid detection from the cameras that are facing it. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I thought the gun was seized from the car as well. I'm not sure where it was seized, to be honest with you. It could have been the car or the house, but I know that there was guns taken. Trial is going to be wild. Maybe it could be, and it could be just as simple as when they finally get there, here's the evidence. Brian Koberger really don't have much of a defense. Right now, his defense is, you know, 1880 law on the statute of grand jury indictment and the IgG, which is something that's not even being used against him. So right now, his arguments aren't very, very big. You know, I mean, he hasn't said anything that's going to indicate that there's some reasonable doubt. The IgG doesn't throw out the DNA or DNA or any of those things. You know, they're hoping or you know, let me rephrase that. The IgG doesn't change the fact that the STR profile matched Brian Koberger. It doesn't. You know, the way you test to see if you did the IgG correct is if there is a match between the STR and the suspect that they was pointed to. If those things match, that means you did it right. They matched. That means, he, you know, they did it right. If it came back to somebody else and they tested their DNA and it came back to not a match, then the IgG was done wrong. That's literally how you check those things. I, I may not, I don't think it's going to be as obvious or as, as wild as many people think. The other thing is that they're hoping that they can get an alibi from Koberger by cross-examining some of the witnesses that they're not sure which ones they are, um, which witnesses could corroborate Brian Koberger's alibi. Because if they did, they would you know, mark them as a witness for their own. But they're waiting to cross-examine the state's witnesses. And, and it said witness says, not witness. 
to try to come up with an alibi. You know, th- th- that's his defense. Oh, also, there's an evil twin defense. They think that the IgG fairly that they focused in. Oh, there it is. That's the frame everybody's talking about. I knew it was somewhere. Uh, I'll stop it right there. I, I can't tell if that's a cut or not on his right wrist. But um, yeah, I think it's not going to be as wild. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty, pretty straightforward. To be honest with you, prosecution, judge, they all thought that this was already going to go to trial. So I feel like a lot of the tactics that the defense is using is to stall that. You know, the IgG is literally going in a big old circle. Let's just say they forced the FBI to hand it everything and they go through it and they find something that was done improper. So then they go back to court and they say, hey, this was done illegal, improper, wrong, whatever the case may be. The judge is going to say, all right, that piece of evidence is thrown out. You can't use that evidence. And any evidence that's found because of it can be thrown out. That doesn't mean that all that evidence is now non-discoverable. It can still be discoverable. It just can't be discoverable through that means. You just have to find it somewhere else. One way you can find it is that DNA match from dad's trash. That's completely illegal. Once they got, once you go and get that match, you can get, you can use that to get the warrant for his phone pings. All right. And you can use that to, to get a warrant for his DNA to match and so on and so on and so on. Like the way they did, regardless of anything, they got him. you know, so that point was meaningless. The grand jury was meaningless. And in fact, even the prosecution said like, even if you were to send it to Idaho Supreme court, you, you lose power at the current court. So that means that nothing can be done. There, there can't be any motions, changing of venues. None of those things can be looked at or done. It completely freezes everything. And then afterwards, even if they were to have somehow won, which it's doubtable, the prosecution just has to file a certain, I can't remember what he called it. And then they'd be back at square one. And all it did was waste time. So the IgG is wasting time. That aspect is wasting time. It seems like all they're doing is stalling. And if that's their defense, ain't going to take no 12 weeks for trial. That's bull crap. You know, in my opinion, that's just so that they can push the courts to do the change of venue. Prosecution already played their hand saying that they want to do this in the summer because of school and things like that. And they want to do this within that period of six weeks. The defense knows that if they drag this out 12 weeks or claim that it's going to be 12 weeks, then that's going to interfere with scheduling anyways. And so in efforts to elude that logistical issue, let's just change the venue. If Brian Koberger's team came back saying they'd be ready by 2025 or the summer of 2025 and six weeks was enough, then that would be it. That's when it would happen. They want to change a venue. I wouldn't be surprised if they got the change of venue and then they speed up the process of which court happens, my opinion. I'm looking forward to the actual evidence used in trial. Maybe we'll get to hear the 911 call as well. You know, I think the reason why the 911 call wasn't released was because it probably had some details pertaining to the location of where the bodies were. And that in, that information is probably something they wanted to keep quiet uh, for trial. So it's probably not as nefarious as people think it is, you know, that, oh, they're hiding something. This is normally out there. Yeah, it normally is. But when you have a case that has probably little inf- little evidence at the scene, right? You know, there, there was no DNA in anywhere except for on the sheath. And that was the only thing that was left. And there's a video of a white car. There's not much there. So when you find somebody that potentially could be the suspect, you need to have some information that only that person can know. If you're if you're questioning this guy and he finally confesses and you say, all right, you know, where was where was Ethan and where was Zana? And they say something to the effect like, well, you know, I attacked Ethan in the kitchen and that's where he was at and Zana in the bathroom in the hallway. And she passed there. Well, we know they're lying. Either they're still trying to elude the investigation or or they really don't know anything about it. I think that's the reason why the 911 call has been out. Why do you think the defense wants the best of the best in genetic DNA, I would think they would want somebody sucking. These DNA places that they're purchasing, 
that's the key thing, right? They're not getting them. They're not being assigned them. These are people that they're purchasing. So when you purchase a private lab company, uh, most of the time they're going to not go away from those that are paying them. I mean, if, if you did, then you really wouldn't be asked to, you know, be paid to do it again. Now, it's not necessarily lying. It's just saying, hey, can you find something that is uh, a loophole or something of that nature that could explain this and explain that? You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily mean that the most logical explanation isn't the right explanation. It's just their job is to come up with something that could offset what the what the state is doing. So in that situation, yeah, you probably want to hire the best of the best, give them the money because they can come up with something. I mean, so you'll have like, for instance, um, defense attorneys, right? And they'll hire ex-police officers to go through paperwork and things like that, go through crime scene and try to find anything that's wrong, right? Something that's not admissible, something that was done improperly or, or whatnot. And, and you, you use an ex-police officer because they're experienced, they know what, what it is and they know what they're looking for. And so you would look for the best to try to find because they would know where a mistake could be made if one could be made. You know what I mean? I hope that all makes sense. Uh, how are you going to do that if they only got him through the IgG? They didn't get him through the IgG. They pointed at him through the IgG. I mean, I could pretend to be clairvoyant and walk into a police department and say that the killer for uh, John Benet Ramsey is, is John Doe and he lives right here. And the reason I know that is because I saw it in my sleep. Now, the officer could laugh at me and say, whatever, or the officer say, all right, you know, I'll, I'll look into it. You know, there's nothing illegal from for that officer to say, all right, I got this name. Let me just kind of look in this guy's background. Let me look at uh, anything I can find on that's um, that can be found on the Web. In fact, in the probable cause affidavit, it says that that the information that they found initially on Brian Koberger was information that could be found on the on the Web that anybody else could search. If he were to build that up and then build the case and let's just say they find something interesting, maybe perhaps witness saw a yellow Ford fiesta or something and you're looking through this guy's facebook pictures and you see a yellow ford fiesta in his you know in the back of one of his pictures there huh now that's interesting so then you start digging a little bit more and then you, you can come up with something that can give you some hard concrete evidence if you can come up with enough circumstantial evidence because again to get a warrant you don't need you know beyond reasonable doubt you just need circumstantial evidence enough to say to a judge that more than likely uh, there would be evidence pertaining to the case there and so you go get these warrants and then you get this concrete you know, information here and this evidence there. And the next thing you know, you build your case. Now, when it comes down to trial, you know, you know, the officer can, can say, Hey, um, you know, I, you know, I got his name from somebody who came into the office and said that they saw this person in their sleep, but I'm not using that person's word against them. That, that person isn't on trial saying I saw this person commit this crime while I slept. None of those things is not admissible in court. I get it that, you know, how can they not hand over the IgG or, or do all those things if that pointed at him? And that's the only way they got to him. You know, a lot of people are found in ways that can't be used in court, whether it's confidential informants or if it's, you know, prison confessions you know, to other prisoners and, and things like that. And they, they, they're they going to want to give information for a lighter sentence or whatever. They don't just take their word for fact. There's got to be some sort of evidence to corroborate it. If that's not there, like, for instance, if you had a crime like this, we know that the crime didn't occur until 420. Let's just say it was cold. And they never told us, they never released the 911 tape, and we only know that the bodies were on the second floor and the third floor. And then you have this guy, a uh, prison guy, come up and say, hey, I was I was in a cell with, with this guy who said he committed that crime. Just him saying that, does that mean you, you can go arrest him? No. You're going to ask him, like, well, what'd he say? He said that he went in there, he drove around a couple of times because he saw a light on. He went in there once the light turned off, went up to the third floor, attacked two girls in one bed. 
went down to the second floor and attacked a girl as she's entering into into her bedroom and and then attacked a man who was sleeping and was waking up at that moment and he left them in the bedroom now and this happened around after four o'clock everybody at that point knows that this happened between three and four supposedly and nobody knows where the bodies are so if somebody were to come up with information like that well now that looks pretty damn good when you're trying to articulate this guy might be your killer and this is why also you don't put that information out there just like that because then you can't get information like this from other people if police would have came out initially in this case and said this happened at 420 and these are where the bodies were and this is where kaylee and maddie were together on this one bed and this that and the third now anybody can come in and say that somebody can say that hey you know i was I was locked up with this guy and he said he did it. And this is the details. You know, he, he may actually have been locked up with that guy, but because that information and those details are out there, you can't do anything with it. So I know that, you know, the people say this doesn't add up and, and, you know, there's too many inconsistencies. They're supposed to be, this isn't supposed to add up right now. You don't have all the pieces. How can you add something without all the numbers or all the, all the denominators? All right. If we have a problem and you can tell that there's def 10 different parts to said problem, and you only have three parts of the 10 part problem, how is it going to add up? It's not going to add up. It's not supposed to. That doesn't mean that the person that they accused is being framed or being targeted or any of those things that are in today's day when this many amount of law enforcement agencies focused on this case and helping on this case would be virtually impossible in this case. How do could they get to Brian without his name though? Like I said, they don't Obviously, they, they needed the IgG to get to him. That doesn't make it illegal to use that against him. In fact, Golden State Killer was found the same exact way. Nobody gave up his name. Nobody said it was that guy. It was the IgG that pointed to him. And it's it, and it led to a conviction. So there is precedent on the IgG being used. There's precedent on that being used as a conviction. And it's strength and, and accountability and its credibility. Just because uh, it hadn't been done in Idaho yet. And they're having to go through this process in Idaho. Doesn't mean it hasn't been done at all. Well, it's been done a few times. There's a gag order in those type of things. <laughs> and I don't want to get anybody in trouble for telling me some certain things. You know what I mean? Uh, so I'll leave it at that. What I do know is when it comes down to trial, we're going to hear from a lot of people about Brian Koberger that we haven't heard from yet. Can you tell us your inside, insider knowledge? I'll say that for some reason I've had, not just in this case, in, in multiple cases, I've had friends of victims, family members of victims contact me and ask me to cover their, their, their family members, their friends' case. The world is small, especially if you're in a certain field or you know people in a certain field. You know, for instance, um, if I was in the um, car sales industry, I got a buddy of mine who's in the car sales industry. He knows some of the biggest players that are out there when it comes to the car sales injury, uh, industry or um, some of the major you know, owners of different groups. Now, obviously, he's not going to know salesmen from, you know, Austin, Hylick Ford or whatnot, uh, but he may know who the general manager is. And that person may know the salesman that works for him. I know a lot of people in law enforcement and in the court system. So I get a lot of information about things like that. Like, for instance, I had I knew about the January 26th hearing on December 26th. I think it was maybe it was the 23rd, you know, um, for Brian Koberger. And, and I don't think anybody knew about that until the 14th of January. I knew about the about the Brian Koberger asking for, you know, the judge to reconsider the grand jury thing about two weeks before that came out as well. And I put a video on there 
I'm just to kind of show people that I'm not, I'm not lying. It's not up yet. It will be in a couple of a couple of days. I thought it was going to be up immediately after the Christmas holiday. I'm not sure if it was Christmas holidays or New Year's holidays. One of those two that was coming up right away. And I was like, it may not come up until after then, but this is what's going to come up. And it took like a couple of days after that, but it eventually went up. I appreciate you guys. You guys are fun to talk to. You have a good night. Peace.